he is telling so many true stories that yes, you know yes. technically all of Sorkin's characters could create a multiverse and you know yes. Billy Bean could meet uh, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg and they could go on an adventure together I don't know I'm just talking it's the Sorkin cinematic universe I, yes. I think it needs to exist <laughs> I'm on board for it oh you're in trouble now what why 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 I'm Alex Logan. I'm Lizzie Bassett. And what? welcome back to IMDb is Obsessed. I beat you to it. We're very excited <laughs> to be here. This is the show that tells you the one movie or TV series that we think you should be watching this week. Yes. And this week from the title, you know that it is Being the Ricardos, the Aaron Sorkin version of Lucy and Desi's production of one episode of I Love Lucy. We know what you think. It's probably not the biggest title out this week. But it is the one that we're obsessed with. We know what you're thinking the biggest title is this week, right, Lizzie? Yeah, it's Spider-Man No Way Home. And yep. listen, we saw Spider-Man. We re I, I'm really resisting the urge to call him Spider-Man. I don't know why. Um, but we <laughs> saw it. We enjoyed it. It's very fun. Go see it. Go see it in theaters. It's an absolute blast. Yes. Just the fact is we don't need to sell you on Spider-Man. Right. You already know it's fun. And it's full of surprises that we don't want to spoil here. So yes. go see it in theaters and enjoy it. See it with your family. It's a good time. Absolutely. Now, Being the Ricardos has received some mixed reviews, which actually surprised both of us. We saw this pretty early on, and we really enjoyed it. So we figured that we would highlight this title. It's in theaters right now. It drops on Prime Video on December 21st, because you might be wondering, with those very split reviews, is this worth my time? We think absolutely yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's filled with some of the best performances of the year. Yeah, I it's agree. Some of the best writing of the year, too, courtesy of Mr. Sorkin. And it is just a fascinating, true Hollywood story, true ish, at least, that is a really interesting tale and a super compelling one. And you can watch it at home on Prime Video. So, right before we dive in, I just want to say that we will keep most of this conversation spoiler free, although sure. I don't know that you can really spoil a very famous person's uh, actual life. And then we are going to have a little discussion where we do talk about some specifics in the movie. We will warn you ahead of that. All right. One spoiler up top, though. There is one <laughs> issue that you did have with the film. Um, it's, I just it's think it's something that we need to clear the air. <laughs> so much as it is a warning to people watching, which I just want to say, like, you just have to push past Nicole Kidman's eyebrows in this. Uh, don't look at them directly and you'll love this film. It's not her fault. Lucille Ball had insane eyebrows. I sure. mean, I love Lucille Ball. She was a product of the time, but they took the eyebrows off of Lucille Ball and they taped them to Nicole Kidman. And it is it is a wild and arresting yes. look. But it also, it, it does say it's one trademark that they really dug into with yes. Lucy. They did not make her a an exact replica they let these people be people no. they don't act and look exactly like they are on the sitcom as you may know them all the time because they are real people they're not sitcom characters so being the ricardos is really a snapshot of one week in the life of lucille ball and desi arnaz at the height of their success uh, about i think one ish years into their six-year run on one of the most groundbreaking and successful sitcoms of all time which is I Love Lucy. If you've never seen it, that is streaming on Hulu right now. It's very worth watching, and I think it will 
if you haven't seen it, it'll make your viewing of this movie more enjoyable yeah. to watch a couple episodes. Yeah, you see all the highlights from that show, but the, the series itself is really funny. You know, beyond just the, the grape stomping and the moments, which they do reenact. Yes. Uh, many of them in this film or flashback to them or include them in kind of, you know, uh, almost like dreamlike sequences where mm -hmm. Lucille is breaking down how the blocking of a set or a gag will go. Um, those highlights are hilarious, but so is so much of the show, so much of the interaction, and you just yeah. really fall in love with these characters. And I think that a lot of that was translated in shorthand to this to this film because they're just focusing on that one week, that one episode, and that one breakdown of how how comedy like this was made back then. Yeah. So the reason that this one week is highlighted is because of two sordid uh, news stories that break. Now, one is about Desi's alleged infidelity, and then the arguably much bigger one, which claims that Lucille Ball is a communist. Right. Uh, now, did those stories actually break at the same time? And was this also the same time that Lucy uh, announced that she was pregnant? No, we will get to Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> Multiverse of Madness a little bit later. But Ooh, he is, I like that. He I mean, because he is telling, well, he is telling so many true stories that, yes, you know, yes. technically all of Sorkin's characters could create a multiverse and, you know, yes. Billy Bean could meet uh, Mark Zuckerberg and they could go on an adventure together. I don't know. I'm just talking. It's the Sorkin cinematic universe. I, yes. I think it needs to exist. <laughs> I'm on board for it. So this is written and directed by Aaron Walk and Talk Sorkin, of course. Stars Nicole Kidman as Lucia Ball, Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz, Nina Arianda as Vivian Vance, a.k.a. Ethel from I Love Lucy, J.K. Simmons as William Frawley, who played Fred on I Love Lucy. Also, some really excellent performances from Tony Hale as I Love Lucy's head writer and Jake Lacey and Alia Shawkat as the whole rest of the writer's room uh, yes. because it was the 1950s. Right. That dynamic is so interesting. And I really love the dynamic between Alia Shawkat and Lucille Ball. Such an interesting dynamic between just those three writers because in true Sor Sorkin fashion, he really dug into the personalities of these writers and their dynamic and how they played off of Lucille and how they, you know, found their voice and and shaped her voice. The dynamic between Lucy and Alia Shakat is one of my mm -hmm. favorites in the in the entire movie and how she helped shape the trailblazer that Lucy would become behind the scenes as well. Just talking to her on, you know, kind of a, a very personal level of what what being a funny woman means and yes. what what her playing dumb as a character does for women and it's just you know kind of a small offhanded comment that just becomes means so much because lucille ball meant so much to the history of comedy and yeah. just the history of television history of filmmaking all of the history of sci-fi which we'll get into later but mm -hmm. so much uh is is packed into these just weighted conversations. I, in the past, have not necessarily been a huge fan of his portrayal of women, particularly sure. the way that they talk. And especially if there are two women interacting with each other, it it's it has not always rang particularly true to me. That is not the case in this. His characters sound like him. Yes, his characters sound like him. Women I sound like him, which doesn't always... Which doesn't always track... In this, I think he really pushed himself to to not do that, and right. it is so fascinating, especially when you hear one of the running one of the through lines through the whole movie is that Lucille Ball is adamant, like Alex sort of said, that she that Lucy is not dumb, 
So right. there are jokes where she's like, okay, I understand the joke you're trying to make, but that joke implies that she's dumb. Like, what yes. is the, she's not dumb. What, what is the reason that she doesn't see Desi That's behind her? What is all of the this? The main drama of it is her yes. not allowing herself to be portrayed as an idiot for, yes. for a joke, for a gag that she's like trying to actually break down the logic, which is something that's missing from a lot of that early television. It is more for the gag. You know, it's yeah. more kind of borscht belty, vaudevillian, you know, very like people playing rubes and, and goofs and not really mm -hmm. like playing real characters. And when you let Lucy into your home every week, she starts to become a part of your family. One thing I think we should call out right at the top is that Sorkin does something really excellent here by zeroing in on a specific window of time. Alex is going to get to this a little bit later, but it's something that he does frequently. Um, yes. I much prefer this to a biopic that tries to cover 50 years of someone's life. I feel like after seeing Walk Hard, I can't watch that without picturing Dewey Cox leaning up against the wall and saying, hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> what does he say? I, have to, I have to remember Some, it, my it's whole Tim, life. It's Tim Meadows saying yes. sometimes a man has to think about his entire life before yes. he goes out on stage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, I don't I, need that. I don't no. need that. No, and, and so many that. movies have still made that you know that mistake after yes. walk hard has, has eviscerated i know i know it's a formula for a reason it does work even if somebody has pointed out all of the you know the rough edges with the formula and we should probably move past it and tell uh, more interesting stories like this one yeah if you don't know much about lucille ball and desi arnaz uh not just lucy they are extremely important figures in television history. They were way ahead of their time. A little fun fact is that you would not have Star Trek or The Twilight Zone without Lucy and Desi. I believe you also actually wouldn't have Mission Impossible um, right. without Lucy. Yep. She greenlit Star Trek against the recommendations of her board. She actually greenlit it twice when she was the head of her own studio in the 60s. Do you know why she greenlit it? Uh, didn't she think it was like something completely different? <laughs> she thought it was about USO performers. Yes, she yes, thought it was about stars right. who trek around the world. And well, then she read the script and said, oh, my gosh, this is not what I thought it was. It's really good. Yes. And then she still fought for it. So it's, yeah, it was a mistake. It again. Yes. And then she, yeah, then she actually went through it. There's, the, I did an IMD brief on this uh, that's, that's on Lucy's page if you're oh, interested nice. in going on a little deep dive. Definitely check that out. But, yeah, I love this fact. And I love that she got it on the air because Star Trek changed television. You know, Absolutely. not only did she change television by being in the comedies, she was also producing these things. Yes, because she was the head of her own studio in the 60s. She's actually the first woman CEO of a major production company ever. Um, and Desi was an absolute genius who was responsible for pretty much the way that sitcoms are shot to this day. Those yes. were his innovations on I Love Lucy. The multicam. Yeah, multicam. He yeah. helped to get the original test pilot of The Twilight Zone made um, as an episode of his Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse series. Um, when the script had been cast aside by CBS and he served as the original narrator. So there is a version of the pilot of the Twilight Zone that is Desi Arnaz <laughs> at the end instead of Rod Serling, yeah. which I love. But there's something that Aaron Sorkin said to Entertainment Weekly, which is that the only thing better than a story people don't know is a story that people think they know, but they're wrong. And Ooh. I love that. And I think that's exactly what he does uh, yes. with this movie. Uh, really, all of his true stories and biopics, I think, are that, where it's his version of this history, and it's relatively accurate. You know, sometimes he does describe his own intentions for some of the characters, or, you know, compresses certain things, but... I think it's such an interesting spin on it that's like these are these are twice told tales these are tales that everyone knows mm -hmm. but like here's the actual spin on it and here's the significance of it I think that's what Sorkin gets to so often is what the 
historical and cultural impact of these stories are beyond just the important people. So we are headed into a mildly spoilery section, although, again, I don't know that actual history qualifies as spoilers. (laughs) Um, But just a heads up, if you want to go into the movie not really knowing any of the beats that are going to happen, skip this section and come back in a couple of minutes. So this movie does focus heavily on uh, HUAC or the House on american Activities Committee, which if you are not familiar with that, it is an incredibly fascinating period in our country's history and particularly Hollywood's history uh, that I would love to see more movies get made about. Um, this committee was expressly designed to rat out supposed Communist Party members, among, among other things. And if you were named in front of the committee, it could mean the end of your career. It did mean the end of your career often. Um, many, many lives were destroyed. Uh, if you hear about people being blacklisted, that's what they're referring to, yes. is that they were named um, by someone on the committee or questioned by the committee. There are some amazing, amazing speeches of people who refused to talk. If you have some free time, I recommend you read the letter that Lillian Hellman wrote to HUAC. It is beautiful. It made me cry. Also, Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, is based on that, but he he moves the setting because he couldn't write directly about mm-hmm. how these trials and you know accusations of people being communists ruining people's lives. He couldn't write about it directly, so he changed it to the Salem Witch Trials and and you know masked it very ever so slightly <laughs> to show what a witch trial the communist blacklist was. Yeah. So Lucy did get questioned by HUAC in real life, but she was cleared. However, that did not stop a gossip columnist from confidently stating that she was a communist. Now, this could absolutely have ruined her entire life, Desi's entire life. This is a very, very high stakes week. Yeah. People would have turned on her. You know, 100%. people it, it, that to know that she's a communist as much as they loved Lucy, that could have been it for her. They would have just turned around and been like, nope, not her, not her anymore. She's She has gone against America. That's the kind of fervor that Joseph McCarthy had riled up in people and made them terrified. I mean, it was just this chaos that he had unleashed on America of people being terrified of their own neighbors because they think that they have some allegiance to <laughs> to communism, to another country. So Nicole Kidman like really, really captures the anxiety that goes with this so well and she channels it into this just like it's her she's crackling on the screen Mm. like you can tell that everything is falling apart for her and I just think she absolutely nailed this she does not do an impersonation of Lucille Ball with the exception of the physical comedy that they show they show some flashbacks like Alex mentioned the grape stomping scene she does an almost spot on exact reenactment of those physical comedy, which I think is really smart because it lets her off the hook to not have to do an exact impersonation when she's off camera. Right. And I think some people expected her to do the exact impersonation off the camera, but you know, they're talking about Lucille Ball was like, right. And they're talking about these very adult situations about communism and other dalliances in their lives. And do you want Lucille Ball off camera to just do one of her trademark Lucy? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Communism. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No. That's not a person. So I I think there was some, you know, because she's known so so iconically as the character, sometimes that's hard for people to separate in their minds and when they only see her as one thing. Right. And I think the other, I think another potential part of the criticism uh, before we get to some of the other performances is that, so we mentioned Aaron Sorkin uh, sort of 
pitches two to three different events in this one week happening. One is uh, Lucy being called a communist. One is Desi's uh, quote unquote alleged. They're not alleged. They are real um, infidelities. And then the third is that she finds out she's pregnant and they say, you know what, we're going to be pregnant on the show, which was a massive thing. CBS said no way. Uh, yeah. Philip Morris initially said no way. They were they like, couldn't you, even say a, a woman pregnant, is pregnant woman? Yeah. <laughs> Not just show her, but even say that she's pregnant. Because yeah. she had been pregnant before on the show and they had to hide it. They hid she was, it, right. Yeah, they, she was always carrying a laundry basket. Yeah, behind the standing chair. Standing behind a table, yeah, which is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Of course, what happens is that they do allow her to be pregnant on TV. It's a huge thing. Everyone's super supportive of it. And they actually timed her cesarean section in real life to the birth of little Ricky on the TV show so that they would be born on the same night so that people could really, really blend the uh, fiction and reality. But uh, wow. I, I do want to call out, and I think that this might be something that's bumping people. Those events do not happen on the same week. They don't even happen in the same year. Um, that's okay by me, to be honest, because of the pressure that it shows her being under, which she really was under every day, regardless of these events happening. So that that's what we're talking about with the timelines being a bit mixed up. Uh, the only other thing I will call out, which now that I know more about this actual story, does read a little absurd is at the very end, Desi Arnaz comes out to warm up the audience, which he would do every night. And he comes out and basically tells them, you know, Lucy is not a communist. Like, she was cleared by HUAC last week. Um, this is not a thing, basically. And then he calls someone on the phone <laughs> and the, he's like, he's like, you know, is Lucy a communist? And you hear this voice go like, no, she is not. And then he's like, can you say your name, sir? And he goes, this is J. Edgar Hoover. And I was like, there's absolutely no way. And in fact, there is absolutely no way that did not happen. Um, he did call J. Edgar Hoover, Desi yeah. did, but it was in private. Um, <laughs> but you know what? That's okay, because it was quite a rousing moment in the movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's the big showcase for Javier Bardem, and it's just yes. such a fun, fun moment. And you don't get to see how much of a just incredible businessman that he was always you know like you think yeah. that that lucy was pulling all the strings and that desi was just kind of you know her kept husband or whatever but he Not was such all. an interesting innovator in the space of television and in you know the business of show on so many levels and you really get to see how much of a genius player he is at that moment and really like what what he could pull off and how he could turn the tides entirely in the favor of lucy it's so sorkiny but it's so wonderful it would be my argument to see it in the theaters because it is a like stand up and clap kind of moment. That's true. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Last thing before we get to the Sorkin walk and talk uh, parade is that J.K. Simmons and Nina Arianda are absolute standouts in this. Yes. Both of them just really heartwarming, really excellent. Her portrayal of Ethel in particular, I I really found very moving. I, I don't want to tell you more about that because I actually yeah. think that that's worth just watching in the movie. Absolutely. She's doing so much and holding so much on her shoulders as a 
a woman on television in this era. And, you know, it's it's kind of that Mad Men style, like mm-hmm. we're condensing an entire era's history into this one conversation. And like, yes. yeah, n- maybe nobody ever had something this heady and highfalutin as far as what's really said in this. But it's so indicative of the time and gives you such an um, awesome overview of what, what was going on at the time. And then J.K. Simmons just shows up to be drunk Bill Frawley and yes. do the most <laughs> and best frowning of maybe the decade. So I, much frowning. Yeah. Oh, he's he's so great. great. Yeah. Bill Frawley is such, he's an interesting character too. And a real cantankerous uh, coot. Of a yeah. Man, I think but. potentially not quite as friendly as, as uh, d- portrayed in this, but that's okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> Alex, tell me about, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, okay. And let's do it as Sorkin-y as possible. Great. Make it real fast. We open on a New York City morning. It's the early (laughs) 1980s, and everyone talks when they walk and walks when they talk. A struggling actor-slash-bartender-slash-singing-telegram-delivery man finds a friend's electric typewriter, and he just starts writing. A couple of produced plays later, Hollywood comes calling to turn his newest, a play based on a hazing incident in the U.S. Marines, into a movie. Before it even premieres on stage... Some meathead named Rob Reiner comes aboard to direct, and the former struggling actor-slash-bartender-slash-singing-telegram-delivery-man buys a book on screenwriting to turn that play into a script for Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Kevin Bacon, and Demi Moore to star in. I think you're missing I Am God at the end of that um, (laughs) speech. I am. We reported the news. But anyways, (laughs) this is Best Picture nominee A Few Good Men, and it's Sorkin's grand entrance to Hollywood. And it's the first true story he'd tell until his late 2000s turn to becoming the elder statesman of the biopic. I feel like that's the segment of his career he's in now where he is Mr. Biopic. And they turn to him to tell these true stories and to figure out how to reflect on our times i think the social network is a movie that really captures what it was like in this era as we're going into yeah especially and like finding finding that way to condense an era into a movie which i think is so impressive so we've referenced a walk and talk a couple of times yeah Uh, can you very quickly for anybody that doesn't know just explain what this piece of uh sorkin vocabulary is it is a way to get characters up on their feet walking and talking it is a way to make a scene more dramatic and when they stop walking to make that a a dramatic moment in and of itself it's really sorkin's number one trademark and it was something he developed with legendary tv director thomas schlammy and schlammy got the scripts for west wing and sports night on the same day and he felt energy in sorkin's words and he really he got up and moved as he read them And he had spent a night in the White House during the Clinton administration, and he saw kinetic energy in the hallways. So when he was thinking, like, how do I make these words have as much impact as I feel when I read them, put them up on their feet, walk and talk. And that's really where he he started formulating this. And as Schlammy puts it in his own words, the essence of blocking a theater piece is that when people are moving and they stop, then it has more emphasis. Alternatively, if they're still and then they move, it has more emphasis. So a lot of the time, if you actually analyze the walk and talks, there will be a moment when they get to the coffee pot to pour a cup of coffee or something in the middle. And that's the dialogue that needs to be digested a little bit more. There was always a method to the madness of the movement. And so it's that. It's, it's simply just trying to find that way to put words up on their feet and you know in television you're only working in so many different uh sets so to have these characters move dramatically through the hallways just basically going around in circles around the the white house office again and again and again uh is is to make it that much more dramatic and it became 
really the number one trademark of Sorkin at that point. It's referenced directly in uh, 30 Rock, even when Aaron oh, yeah. Sorkin does show up and he, he starts does the walk quick, and talk. He yes. does the walk and talk on 30 Rock in a, in a pretty great episode with Liz Lemon. He yeah. says, walk with me. Yeah. So through the 2000s, Sorkin does a lot of these interesting takes on biopics. He does Charlie yes. Wilson's War, Social Network, which we've brought up again and again, love so much. And then Moneyball, Steve Jobs, Molly's Game, The mm -hmm. Trial of the Chicago 7, all of these containing history, sometimes being uh, historical events into, you know, a single period of time, um, right. and sometimes being more along the lines of a biopic, more along the lines of, you know, a historical drama. And we circle back around, of course, to the Ricardos, where he's able to compress all the dramas uh, of, all the drama of Lucy and Desi's entire life into this one production week, with a few pointed flashbacks to when they first met and kind of, you know, just dig into a little bit of their love story a bit. But I think, like we've said, it may not be entirely 100% accurate through all of it. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you put Sorkin's words up on their feet, you walk them through the halls, and then, you know, you create something very dramatic and very compelling. Nobody was raking <laughs> Shakespeare over the coals for making Richard III a whiny hunchback, which he allegedly was not in real life, and it's sure. an excellent play, so... I think we can give Aaron Sorkin a little bit of leeway here for mishmashing up the timelines, again, as we said, in his multiverse of madness. I actually want to talk about what we think you guys should watch next. And one of the things I will recommend is not a watch, it's a listen. Oh. If you would like to get more of a deep dive into Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's life, but especially Lucille Ball, listen to The Plot Thickens. It is a really incredible podcast from Turner Classic Movies. This season focuses entirely on Lucy and Desi. It is so worth your time. Um, old Hollywood really, really fascinates me. This does not disappoint. And it it really elevated the movie for me in some ways because I understood even more of the layers of conversation that they were having. Um, they were really influential, talented, uh, extremely difficult people. Yes. And I think Aaron Sorkin does not shy away from that in this. And this podcast delves into it even more, particularly about Lucy, who was a force to be reckoned with for sure. I listened to the plot thickened season on Peter Bogdanovich and it's mm -hmm. essential. It's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. I would say also throw in your watch list season one, episode 22 of I Love Lucy. Yeah. It's Fred and Ethel fight. It's the episode that they're producing. Of course, you know, they, they add in a little bit from here or there, but it is the one that they're really focusing on in being the Ricardos. And I think it really uh, helps add a little bit more context without maybe, you know, spoiling all the history that Sorkin is moving around a little bit. The other one I'm going to throw out is Abraham Polanski's Noir Jim from 1948, Force of Evil. Polanski was actually one of those uh, blacklisted writers. He was a World War II mm. vet, but he was blacklisted after directing his first film in 1948, oh, this great movie force of evil um and you know it just shows the stakes that were involved in being the ricardos if lucy had lost her job how that could end a career and you know he was not allowed to do really anything in hollywood at least under his own name he did rewrite some scripts and take some uncredited work here or there um for 20 years and then tried to make a return in the 60s and it just it shows how much art we were not able to see because yeah. of this horrible false panic that was thrown out by the huckster joseph mccarthy so being the ricardos is currently top 50 on movie meter i mm. expect that'll probably go up when it uh, releases more widely on prime and becomes more accessible and currently sits at a 7.2 out of 10 on uh ratings that's great i i think i agree with that i think feel like that's kind of spot on 
Yeah, definitely. I, I might even go up to an eight with this one. Um, I'm just like you said, you know, and we talked about old Hollywood. Yeah. Not, and it just is. It's so much in my wheelhouse. And it's really some of the best Sorkin y Sorkin in, in some time now. Oh, boy, does he Sorkin. And I loved it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Normally, we would ask you a question um, about this. Unfortunately, we are coming back next week with a holiday episode uh, that, uh, spoiler alert, we already taped. So we will hold off on questions for this week. But um, please check out that episode next week. But last week, we talked about the sex lives of college girls. And we asked you guys, what movie or show is most realistic to your college experience? We got some great answers. At Hampton alum says, a school days in a different world. Mm. Those are great. Community popped up a couple times. I wish. Lots of old school. I know, right? Oh, this at Callan0013 said, how about Real Genius with Val Kilmer? I love that movie. Yeah, definitely. Great early Val Kilmer. Yeah. Also, Laszlo in the Closet is Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, which was oh. one of my early connections I, I made. <laughs> <laughs> at Sean R. Official said, thought it would be like a beautiful mind, ended up more like neighbors. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> And then I like the honesty of at Mr. E, who just said the social network. Yes, I am rich. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Still a mysterious man, but uh, yeah. yeah, at least is able to uh, admit that part of his life. I also saw Undeclared come up a lot, and I got to say that one probably mirrors my college experience to some degree, because it was filmed in my dorm. Not while I was there, but it still looked the same. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, USC. And then last, we got a little note in here from someone named Ian, um, who I'm pretty hmm. sure is the producer of our podcast. And it says, I was in an acapella group in college, and Pitch Perfect is scarily accurate as to how the world of collegiate acapella is. I even competed in the same competition that's featured in the movie. Wow. Okay, All right. There you go. All right, Ian. What was the name? What was the yeah, name of your acapella of your group? group? It's got to have a it's got to have a corny pun. He says no pun. What? Ian, what is it called? Oh, Cloud called Nine. Okay. So your singing would take us to cloud nine. Okay, well. Yes. <laughs> uh, we also got another email from Jerry. Yeah. Our favorite. This is a segment that we're calling, uh, what's Jerry watching? And Jerry's <laughs> says that her rec is not related to college, uh, more of a show that she hopes we are watching. Guess what, Jerry? We are watching it. The show that she mentioned is Yellow Jackets on Showtime. It's excellent. We yeah. are fully obsessed with Yellow Jackets. Yeah, definitely one that we almost talked about on this series because yeah. we were very into. And yeah, want to keep watching, want to see where this one goes. And hopefully it uh, keeps going because I think more people would get into it. I know. It's really amazing. I want to yeah. know who the antler queen is, and I think we may know <laughs> soon. Uh, finally, we want to let you guys know that uh, Ian of the acapella group Cloud9 does have an episode <laughs> of Movies That Changed My Life uh, that just dropped yesterday featuring founder and CEO of IMDb, Call Needham. They talk about their favorite movies of the year. It's a really fun episode. Um, hopefully, you'll find some movies that you didn't know about. You'll also get to hear them discuss some of the movies that I'm sure were also your favorites. And for more best of coverage, make sure you head to imdb.com slash best of to check it out. As always, even if you just want to email us and say hi, you can send us an email to obsessedpodcast at imdb.com. Right now, we're really only reading Jerry's emails, but and we could great. be reading more emails. Yeah, keep <laughs> emailing us, Jerry. We do enjoy them. And thank you to everyone who has already rated the podcast. Always appreciate those. Throw us a five stars if you feel like it. And we will be back next week with a little bit of a holiday episode. Until then, bye. Bye.
look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.